Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And I want to look at least one more time at this elder brother in chapter 15 of Luke And let's read those words again, but looking for something else this time. And so, in verse 27, as the elder brother is striding across the ranch toward the main house, and he hears the sounds of music, and he accosts one of the children, demanding what on earth's going on. And in verse 27, he said to him, Your brother has come and because your father received him safe and sound your father has killed the fatted calf but he was angry would not go in so his anger began when he was told what all the music was about note that um and in verse 30 when he's raging at his father He says, but as soon as this son of yours came. And then in verse 32, the father now has answered him. And the final answer right at the end there, he says, it's right that we should be merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Do you you see what I'm getting at? It was when he heard that his brother had come home and had been received. Uh, uh, The verses there say safe and sound. The original would be shalom. It it means in harmony, in peace, in reception, acceptance and delight and everything else that was going on. And at that point, that's when he became angry. Incidentally, we have no record that he was angry before that. So he and his father had been living together in a sullen relationship. I mean, there was hardly any delight going on from this son's side, but there's no record of argument. It is when he hears that his brother has been received by his father in peace acceptance, delight, that's when he became angry. And then he goes on to talk to his father and will not, it's as if the word brother sticks in his throat like a chicken bone, and he cannot say it. He says, this son of yours. That's a terrible word. But the father refuses to have the congregation directed by this elder brother. And so when he makes his final address concerning the reason for the feasting, he says, this brother of yours. This, you begin to realize, there's this whole confrontation. Everything that's happening here is about the brother that's come home and this brother that is filled with rage because he's been accepted. So what's all this about? Jesus, let me say again, because many people seem to believe that, you know, these were characters in the Bible. This is a story Jesus told. It's a story. And Jesus being the storyteller, the inventor of the story and the characters, puts into their mouths the words that he wants. And and so every word that the characters speak, they are words that Jesus wants to get over to us in telling this story. And so in this elder brother, especially, of course, it would be true also 
in another way with the youngest son that we've dealt with in the earlier in the story but th- this is describing mankind men and women in the darkness and I prefer to use that word than simply to say man in sin because 90% of persons today don't know what sin is. It's just an old religious word that means something nasty and bad and is probably adultery and murder or something like that. No, let's use this word. It's closer to the real meaning. A a man blinded, inside eyes blinded, moving in a thick darkness in which cannot see light, cannot see truth. It's, it's the world of, of, of not only darkness, let me use another word, lies and deceit and deception. And out of that lying deception there comes perceptions. I begin to, in the darkness, I begin to make up the world around me, try to invent my world based upon myself. And so he, here he is. He's separated, separated in, in every way you want to look. You could say he's separated from himself. He's certainly separated from his brother and his father, probably separated from everybody else in the village, if I make a guess. He's a man alone. Now, that's the key word of the darkness, alone. A terrible, deep spirit loneliness. Lost from the place of belonging. And as I say, in that place of lies, perceptions. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Perceptions. That is what, what, what you're believing at that moment is not true but it's your perception it's what you think is true you perceive but your perceptions are off very seriously off and so he perceives himself separated from the father I don't need to tell you the father had never been separated from him any more than he'd been separated from the younger son But he perceives himself. That's how he looks at himself. That's how he believes and thinks of himself, that he's separated from the Father. To the point where, as we saw last week or the week before, that uh, this chap, he, he doesn't even address the man as his father, which in the culture of the New Testament was the greatest insult it was like slapping father's face. Doesn't even say father. No, just go, comes in and says, "Look." You see, he's, he's, he's already in his mind. He's outside of his father. In fact, he describes himself as a slave, and therefore, if he's a slave, not only does he not perceive his father to be his father, but he perceives him to be his slave boss, his master. Then he goes on to say how he's been judged. I wasn't good enough. And so, do you see, he's built up this picture. It's all lies. He's saying, essentially, you're not my father. And he is saying, you don't care for me, rather you judge me, and you, I'm, I'm never enough, I can never earn your favor. You're not my father, you're my slave boss. I've been your abject slave these many years. Separation. It's the key word to what sin is. Back there in the Garden of Eden, it was the great separation that came in. This terrifying, terrible, agonizing separation. Man perceived himself to be separated from God. But then, and especially for what we're looking at tonight, it's separated from his younger brother. Separated. Um, So much so, as we've noted, he he could not say brother. Rather, he, he, he pushes 
away. He's not recognizing his father. So along with his father, he doesn't recognize his younger brother and says, this son of yours. The reason being that that, that kid, he, he, he's too bad. He, he's, he's not worthy to be called my brother. In fact, um, he, he always uh, spews out here, so I, I know he's been thinking about it for a long time, that, that he compares himself to his brother, favoring himself. You know, the sort of thing, I would never do that. Can you believe what he did? And, and so he separates his brother away, saying, in effect, I am worthy of my father's care and love and appreciation, but over against this kid, this scoundrel, this pariah dog, this scum, this cur, no, I am worthy. He is not worthy to step foot on the property. Therefore, I, I reject, I separate him away. He's only fit to be punished. That's, that's what we meet here. Um, but I've got to emphasize this. This is, if you get this, you've got the parable. Um, the separation, although obviously all this had brewed down inside of him. He didn't think of this on the spur of the moment. But I have to say, it wasn't said before this. It, it was as if it was that, that floating backdrop. But he'd never really defined it. He'd never, really, he just thought it was there. You know how that is sometimes. But now when he sees his brother sitting at a table of feasting, being honored by his father, so obviously accepted and in, in his mind rewarded, um, suddenly the rage spews out. It was when he saw his brother sitting at the right hand of his father, being feasted and celebrated, that, that's when the volcano erupted. Interesting, the Pharisees, of course, didn't need much help in that area, but their, their rage spewed over when they saw Jesus sitting at a feast that honored and celebrated tax collectors. That was, they, they said, this man, he, he's eating. That's easy, eating. There's a feast, there's a party here with tax collectors. Jesus in the parable has the elder brother just going along, sort of being a nice, cold, unemotional, moral misery. But he, he's going along in life. And, but when he sees his brother sitting with his father, who is celebrating and honoring him, that's it, that's it. He explodes. And every thought he'd ever had and all of that gray background comes spewing out in a harsh, cruel, angry, pain-filled words. Or can I put it like this? It was when he came face to face with the grace and the love that his father was showing to his brother when he saw grace and love in terms of the relationship that the father had with his brother, that's, that was it. That was it. He could live with his father, you know, strange old chap, don't really understand everything he does, but we sort of get along arm's length sort of thing. But it was when he saw, can you hear me? You've got to hear me. It was when he saw the grace and love of his father. Yeah, but he'd been living with him all these years. Yeah, but it was grace and love of the father in relation to his younger brother. It was when he saw grace from the father to his younger brother. That did it. That, that, that was it. When he saw his father rejoicing, over his younger brother. Younger brother, undeserving 
I mean, I mean, has the world gone mad? This, this, this scumbag, he comes back penniless, I'm sure. No, it's a good job he never saw what he was like when he did come back. Since he came back, he's been robed in his father's robe and sandals and ring on his finger. And if he had seen him when he came back, I don't know. But some things the Lord hides from the eyes of cruel and vicious religion. Anyway, he sees him honored. He sees him, what, worthy to be sitting next to my father as the honored guest? And to see the look on his father's face? His father is satisfied, love satisfied. Satisfied to the point of this wild, joyous celebration. Please, get inside this man's head. Confusion. I say it again, the world's gone mad. It's insane. Everything's turned upside down. There's no, no sense here. I, I, I always looked at my father as a slave driver. He, he was my judge, and obviously he didn't judge me worthy of even a goat, let alone a fatted calf. But I'm looking at my father. He, he's not how I perceived him to be. He's not judging my brother. He's not condemning my brother. What's the matter? My father isn't the father that I thought he was. He's not judging, not condemning, not accusing, not punishing, not rejecting. And second, question in this collapsing world of confusion what on earth did my younger brother do to be accepted because everything I know that he did would guarantee his rejection what's he done he's seeing a love that is not a responding love that is a love that does not respond to good behavior but it's a love that reaches out before any behavior has been presented he sees a love that loves that younger brother simply because the younger brother is and the father could only be satisfied by holding that son in his embrace. You know how people think that God is going to be satisfied when, when you, you've received uh, all the punishment your sins deserve and then reluctantly he can forgive you uh, and, and sort of love you if you could ever dare accept the love of such an abusive monster. But um, th th this love that he saw was a love that, that reached out to this younger brother, accepted him, embraced him, forgave him, obviously, or he wouldn't be sitting there. He sees a father of compassion who ha has entered into the pain of this broken boy that comes back and has made it his own and has blessed the boy. No, the, the son, this elder brother, does not stand in awe of such love. He doesn't look at that love and say, have I ever been wrong? That's my father. What a dad. No, he didn't say that. Rather, to look at that became the point, the ultimate point of separation. He said, if that's the way it is, if that's the way it is, it's madness, it's insanity. That's where I draw the line. Jesus is describing what this world, what the New Testament calls the flesh, this whole world system, describes as love. It's very, very unfortunate that in English we just have the word love. And 
we we use it all the way from I love ice cream to I love my wife and I love God. It, it's it becomes almost a nonsensical word, you know. It just it, do you, do you love your wife the same way as you love your dog? I mean, you you use the same word. No, of course, there's, there's differences here, and in the language of the Bible. Uh, New Testament, which is Greek, there, there are, there's many words for love which describes different kinds of love. There, there's a word for family love. There is the word for the love of dear committed friends, um, uh, affection, you might say. But then there is the word that answers mostly to the, how we use the word love today. Uh, when people on the streets and in their homes and stores and whatever would say, I love, usually it's this particular word in Greek that they're, they're using. It's how the word was used in the days of the Bible. And so fascinating to a chap like me who studies words, this word that describes love as the world understands it, the love, if you can call it that, that came out of the Garden of Eden's fall, that word is not in the Bible. That's ah, fascinating. I mean, how can you write a book that is the final word on love and not use the word that everybody on the street used for love? But it isn't. It's as if the Holy Spirit put up iron gates and said that word doesn't get inside scripture that word in the greek language is eros and so many times today that word is equated with sexual love although it has a relationship to that it's not the word eros as i said it's the word that coming out of the garden of eden where, where Satan had assured man, you shall be as gods. The, the love that humans concocted in their darkness, believing that I am God and pushing the real God away and replacing him with a distorted, twisted face. The word that came out of all that is eros. What does eros mean? I mean, it's translated love. If, if you translate it from the Greek, it's, it's love. But what is it then? Define it for me. Eros is love, but this is the kind of love it is. And listen to me carefully. It means I desire, I want. You might even say I must have. I desire, and I desire for me, and I want it now, the highest, and the best, and the most beautiful. I want it now. And on the flip side of the word, it means that anything that is inferior that is less than the best, that is ugly, is condemned and rejected, and I want it nowhere near me. That was really the culture upon what ancient Greece and Rome was built on. Um, it, it, it is behind the great art of Greece. I must have the highest, the best, the most beautiful, and, and it produced the art that, that was to perfection. But it, it's, it's, what can I say, the reverberations of that word. Oh. You see, here is a love. See, I, I hate to say love because it's not love as we know it, but it is the love of this world. It's a love that arises from, it finds its origin in feelings, how you feel about a person, and how that pe a person looks or appears to you. 
now now you see this is getting closer to home isn't it um we we love something because they they appeal to our senses that they, they they excite our emotions and, and when we're thus excited and find pleasure in what we we see and how that person or thing appears to us and out of that we say we love I mean how how many disasters in relationships today began with someone who merely saw the other and said that they I mean that the, the appearance of the other just swept them off their feet and they said I love you no don't be daft true love does not originate in feelings but wait a minute on that one but that's eros it's feelings about what you look like how you act the kind of person you are your appearance and it is a love that of necessity must separate that word again it must it must draw circles you say i only want the highest the best the most beautiful that's all i want and i must have it well then we'll draw a circle won't we and we'll let into that circle those that we deem to be the highest possible the most beautiful yeah we'll we'll let them into my circle because uh, i i yes i i i I resonate with that that they i i see them as beautiful i see them the highest um they're the best so they're the kind of people I want in my life, you see. That's, that's yeah. I, I, but well, what about all the? Well, I know they, they can't come in here. This is a closed circle. Put them in another circle. We don't want those people. They're disgusting people. We laugh at them. Look at those people. How, how could they act like? How could they believe like that? That's eros. It, it's got to divide. See, this is racism, isn't it? It's Eros. Eros says, if, you, if you're not my color, I don't want you here. You're inferior to me. I've got blue eyes. If you've got black eyes, <clears throat> you're out of here. That's Eros. Eros is the most extreme form of patriotism that, that uh, all other peoples in the world are inferior to me. You, you get the point, don't you? Of course, it's, it is the driving energy of denominationalism and religion, which says, uh, you know, we draw a circle around us and we're the holy people. It, it tends to get a smaller circle, smaller and smaller. Um, it, it's us and everybody else is damned in hell. I, I won't even mention the denomination because I know many precious people in that denomination. But, but I heard them talking once at their administration meeting and, and they named this particular town. They said there are no Christians in that town. We should establish a church. Good grief, the place was full of Christians, just nobody of their denomination. That's Eros. Eros is incapable of compassion. Compassion. You know, that's love that wrenches your guts. That's love that's peppered with anger that says, I cannot and will not let my fellow human being suffer. I must go in to help. Well, Eros is incapable of that because when it looks upon those who hurt, those who are in pain, those who are broken, those who are confused, those who are ignorant. It regards them with a sneer. They're less than me. They're inferior. They got what they asked for. It's the way of life. So they judge them as worthless. But now, are you ready for the fact that this darkness produces in its broken imagination it produces a god small g but in their imagination god is the god who is eros 
Even when they call him love, they're really using this word eros. Because you see, what would an eros God look like? He only wants the highest, the best, and the most beautiful. Do you get it? A God who judges based on his feelings about what you're doing right now. He loves me, he loves me not. He loved me on Sunday and I got saved and now by Monday I backslid and he hates me. I've got to get saved on Wednesday again. That's half of America's Christianity, Eros. A God who is a judge to condemn us, who demands perfection or he doesn't want to look at you. A God who when he's had it up to his eyebrows with you, he'll punish you. That's Eros. Because he only wants the highs, the best, the beautiful. Those who have kept the law to perfection. And everybody else he rejects and laughs at them across the canyon. Well, that means then I look into the face of this false God. The gaze, the dark frowning face that I call God, Eros. And I'm accused and I'm condemned and the best I can do is agree with him and I hope that excites him as I'm unworthy, I'm no good, I'm guilty, I'm rotten to the core. I hope he likes that. But then I turn around, you see, because my life is all eros. I turn around and I see you and I say, hold it, hold it. Yeah, I, I'm not what I should be, but look at him. I thank you, oh God, I'm not like him. At least you've got something in me that's, okay, you know. And so Eros demands comparison. If I'm going to be the highest, best, and most beautiful, I like to compare myself to those who are not the highest, best, and most beautiful, in my opinion. Do you get this sick, sick picture do you understand now why human beings are drawn like moths to a flame to always find something and declare that something that is ugly in others? We call it gossip, we call it slander, but it's like a delicious hors d'oeuvre to many people. If I could only keep everybody I know sort of down, have you heard what she did? Can you believe it? Do you know what I heard about him? Put them down, put them down, put them down. They're not worthy of our circle. I, I'm getting higher, you see. As fast as I can put the other end of the seesaw down, I go up higher. Maybe I'll get to be highest, best, and most beautiful. That is the crazy, insane, safe world in which so many live living in their little circles of inclusion and exclusion. You're good enough, and the others, we don't want them, we don't want them. And the don't want them becomes, I'm afraid of them, I, I don't want to become like them. But of course, Eros is so fickle, because he wants the highest, best, and most beautiful. Well, what was highest, best, most beautiful today may not be that tomorrow, you see. And that's why persons who say they fell in love... Interestingly, 90% will not commit to that because Eros never commits to anything because Eros doesn't know about tomorrow. You say, I know you're, you're the highest, oh dear Lord, you're the best. You are the most beautiful today. But of course, within a couple of months, who knows who will come along who will be, oh yeah, really the highest, really, really. And so you're dumped because Eros doesn't know the meaning of the word faithful. Eros cannot be faithful by his nature, is always seeking. But what is so beautiful today is in the trash tomorrow, replaced. Into that world of the elder brother. Did you find the elder brother in there? I hope you did. I don't have time to go over details. Into that Eros world of the elder brother. Suddenly in, and I say it again, as the father celebrates the younger brother. That's what did it. In that act, 
the elder brother sees with inside eyes, he sees something he's never seen in such blatant action before. He sees the other Greek word, which is used biblically to uniquely describe the love that God is. Agape. And agape, do you know what agape is? Um, I, I did a whole retreat on this last year, I think, called Love the Spirit's Power. And I would urge you to get that. Love the Spirit's Power. It's a whole retreat that deals with these issues that I'm only just touching on here. Agape. When you see when we say God is love, here we are. What what do we mean by love? It, this is one thing we should just leave it in the Greek. <laughs> God is agape, because anything we mean by love falls short. Agape. See, we 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 immediately the moment you start talking about it, we don't really get it because. There's nothing like it among humans to compare it to. See, agape originates, it begins, it arises out. Not feelings, not because you look so fantastic, not because your track record is the highest, the best, the most beautiful, and you pull out of me love. No, that's eros. Agape originates not in my feelings. It's going to have feelings. You bet it has. But it doesn't originate there. Agape is not a response to your doing things that make God excited. Agape originates in the very heart of God. Originate, shall I say, in his will, in his unbegun choice. He chooses with the entirety of his being, his unchanging being, he chooses to give himself in total to you. So it isn't that I want the highest, best, and most beautiful for me right now to make me happy, you say. No. It isn't that because you are so perfect, you please me. Therefore, I'll... Re no. Agape is the being of God. It's the way he is. And out of his isness. He chooses to set his love on you and refuses to be God without you. I say, I can't give you any illustration of that. It's beyond, it's beyond. Agape is the choice of God to bestow his love upon you, the creature. And that originate, that, that being of God can under, be understood sort of by the Holy Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a word, without going into very much, but the, in the New Testament especially, it speaks of the Father being in the Son and the Son in the Father, the Spirit in Father and Son, and so on. And, and that word in may be better, we would understand, as inside. That is, it is saying that <laughs> the Son is inside the Father. He, he is he's being nourished by all the Father is, and He is giving of His very self to the Father. The Father cannot be the Father without the Son. The Son cannot be the Son without the Father, and the Spirit, and so on. God is inside, a union, a one. 
God is love. That is, this agape has no separation. No separation. God puts up no walls. Don't go through any security. There's no separation. God wills to be inside of you and have you inside of Him. So there are no circles. No inclusions as opposed to exclusions. So agape, would you understand me if I said is unambiguous? That is, there's no fickleness here. There, there, there is commitment, there is faithfulness. Unambiguous agape that reaches to all not based on their behavior or their workings, but because he wills to bestow his love upon them and give to them a worth that's beyond our own comprehension. And such agape, part of agape is the insistence, the determination to overcome all separation, overcome everything that would separate you from him. And that, what I've just said, agape is that, but it comes to its final definition in Jesus. For Jesus is God freely sending God. The Father sends the Son, upheld and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God giving his very self away to us, to the point that he joins us in our humanity. (laughs) I, I was just thinking... God joins us in our humanity. God came in this flesh. That that makes this very being of me, my flesh, my humanity, my humanness, it puts a sacred stamp upon me. Now, this is where God has chosen to take up his residence. The human God. Huh. In fact, have you ever read John 3.16? I mean, really read it. For God so agape the world. He had to put the so in there because just to say agape loved wasn't enough. He so loved. His love, I say again, beyond our comprehension. We just gaze at it in wonder. So loved. Well, what does that love look like? Define that love for me, please. I will. God so loved the world. That. Okay, here comes the definition. What does so loved mean? He so loved. This is how he so loved. This is how he shows it. That he gave his only begotten son. That is, he places a worth upon you and I that is equated to the worth of God the Son. Can you take that in? He is compassion. He does not feel sorry for us. He comes inside our pain, inside our darkness and our brokenness in order to carry us through death and blood shedding, through resurrection. He's taking us home to where we belong. Home. Well, now, see, repentance, and we've talked about that before, haven't we? It means this radical change of mind. I'm going to change my mind about it. Eros, then, is totally out of the picture. Yes, you've got to believe that. Agape cannot coexist with Eros, to the point the word Eros is not in the Bible. Amazing. Agape comes and collapses Eros. It shows Eros to have come straight from the deceiving tongue of Satan. 
It's the very opposite of God love. And so the safe world where we've got everybody in their circle and we've got God condemning us and us trying to please him. Got it all in place. Safe world and into it comes this most crazy world that is unsafe to us because we see a God who is utterly other than Eros in fact he opposes it with all his being loves us not according to our niceness loves us not because we're slaved for him. Loves us because we're breathing. Loves us because we is. <laughs> See, are you, you're understanding the elder brother now. He looked at this, it doesn't make sense. And faith, what is faith? Well, essentially faith is my response to that. My, my response to this heart action of the Father revealed in Jesus and the mighty coming to me in energy of the Holy Spirit. I respond, what, what can I say then? Oh, I see, it isn't put up your hand and tell God, I'm going to try hard to please you. It isn't, I'll, what, what would Jesus, no, no, no. All I can do is say, here I am. I accept, yes. I believe this message from the heart of God that I can hardly put into words. I say I yield to that. Which of course means down, crashing down comes these vile idols of Eros and the God that was invented and all my stupid trying to please a God of my own invention. It was very easy for me to say that, wasn't it? That, yeah, I, I recognize Eros to be the very opposite of all that God is. And, and, and I, I now respond to God's love. Isn't that beautiful? So, uh, but no wonder that's entering into death. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He killed Eros. It's authority over us. And he revealed the fullness and finality of Agape as he took us to our place of belonging. For me to believe, rest in that. Yeah. It's the only way to describe this. I I realize I've died to everything I thought was life. I, I've been reborn in the same resurrection. But now ho- hold it. See, there's more to this than you can think. Because we, we think, we, we emphasize... That, that you know, this is my personal relationship with Jesus. Well, it is. Absolutely. You won't ever get me saying it isn't. It's personal. But it's not private. God being God has an intimate, personal relationship to every one of us. But it's not private. When I open my eyes in this world of a love that I can hardly define... Uh, I suddenly see at the corner of my eye that all my neighbors are here and my whole jolly family. And I realize I've woken up in a world of no circles because half of these people I put in another circle. I didn't want them in my... my, But they're here. God, God loves them. God loves them. Oh dear, I'm getting elder brotherish. God, God loves them. Yes. Didn't you, didn't, didn't, but that was what I believed, wasn't it? That God got inside human, which made every human, that turned the corner of the human race, and we'd never turn back again. God had joined himself to human, which places a certain sacredness upon every human For Jesus calls us brother and sister and tells us that God is our Father, that we are beloved. This doesn't make sense. I thought it was just between me and God on the Jericho Road. There's room for just two, Jesus and me. 
now I find out to come to this love that pours forth from God's very being revealed in Jesus and is now poured into me through the Holy Spirit. This is not just a private little thing between me and God. It's involved how I look at the entire human race. Let me say it again. It's when this elder brother saw the father celebrating his younger brother that he deemed worthy of only punishment. That's when he saw grace. That's when he saw agape. And when he saw it, all he could say, you're giving grace to him? You love her? Oh... All the old circles want to come up. I want him out, him in, keep her out, bring, you know. All the old comparisons. I'm telling God, don't you see I'm better than that? I'd never do a thing like that. You can't love that person the same as you love me. In fact, God, did you hear what he did? Yes, you don't gossip to God. And when... See, there's many in a twilight zone because they see something here. They see God is love, but it passes through the prism of Eros. And so they tried to love God enough. Oh, I remember sitting in, in meetings and you talk about condemnation. I heard it. I, you probably heard it. After all he did for you, the least you can do is, whatever the latest religious fad is, least you can do. And you sit there in guilt, you know, after all he did for me, I should at least beat myself up once a week. You've got to love for God after what God has done for you. You've got to dig down there, try and find some love that you can shove back to God. You know, in the New Testament, it says, put off this. And it gives a list of all the works of selfishness. But then he goes on and you put on. You put on the, the, this love and kindness and gentleness and so on. Well, the, the eros people are coming out of the darkness but they're not really out altogether they're trying to have a have a love for god it seems that they find everything in their life to put off so they can please god but they never put anything on because everything the bible says to put on the kind of lifestyle that now is because the other's gone is a lifestyle of agape and so these people, I don't know where they get it. I, I, I listen. Oh, how I listen. Would you just say one thing about putting on the love of God, putting it on and becoming kind and gentle and being the love of God to your neighbors. But no, you don't hear it. They say you don't have to smoke. You can't drink. You can't go to movies and uh, just hold it, hold it. I'm sure that has some sort of place somewhere. But the entire Bible is about love. Love that screams from God, unconditional, bestowed upon us by sheer gift, transforming love, for it is love that is in the red blood of Jesus, in the power of his resurrection and ascension, brought to us by the Holy Spirit. Love that transforms us. And all that he asks of me is to let that love flow through me to others. But we get stuck here. This is private. You say, this is private. I wish all those other people weren't here. This is private between me and God. I've got to love you. I've got to love you. I've got to love you. So I promise you I won't do this. I won't do that. I won't go there. Promise, promise. I try and be like Jesus. In fact, holiness in the lips of many Christians means I'm separated from the world. And boy, do they mean it. Separated from the world. All the rules that make them odd and weird so they would look like oddballs in the world. 
But they're terrified of the world. They're terrified of just normal people. They're afraid they might get contaminated. I've got to be separate, separate, separate. Huh. Of course they had that in the days of Jesus. You see, they said if you get close to a tax collector, you might get contaminated with his rottenness. Uh, Jesus rubbed shoulders with tax collectors, sat at the table and they laughed and slapped each other's back and had a marvelous time. And it was the tax collectors that got contaminated with the love of God. Works the other way around. (laughs) You see, what the elder brother saw was not a younger son desperately sweating, trying to be the right kind of kid for his father. He saw his father pouring his love upon this child, which is going to transform him totally. Eros says that you have to have a love for God. Do something for God. It's between you and him to see if you can be good enough and accepted enough and still saved by next Sunday. But agape says it's love that streams from God that you can never earn. And it's that love that streams from God. A God who desires your highest and your best and his love will cause you to take on beauty. And holiness is not steel-cold separation from people. It is love that plunges into the lives of others to bless them and be the love of God to them. Love that reaches all. God so loved the world that he gave his son, plunged his son into the middle of that world. And says 1 John, he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus said, we are not of this world, even as he is not of this world. Well, he rubbed shoulders with everybody, but he rubbed shoulders as one who was the incarnation and the giving of this agape love. You see, put it like this. Many today look at receiving God's love as now we've got to do a U-turn and send it back to Him and call it praise. Praising God is not sending His love back to Him with a thank you note. Jesus said, If you love me, Keep my commandments. And my commandments means the words that flow out of my mouth. And he's just gotten through saying to them, Love one another, agape one another, as I have agape you. This is my commandment. And it's by this that all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you have agape one for another. That is, no U-turn. I have loved you. Don't just send it back to me and say, Thank you, Jesus, you love me. No, he says, I have loved you. Now you love one another in the same way that I loved you. And it's in that fashion the world will know that you are my disciples. What, what is it in, in um, John chapter 17, is it, where Jesus said, he's praying to the Father now, and he says that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And then the world may believe that you sent me. That is, when the world looks at a company of people who love one another because they see each other and know each other to be in the Father and the Son, then he says the world will sit up and take notice. My time is gone. I I had planned that we should read together bunches of first john you've got to read it yourself sorry i'm not going to get there
But like, like, okay, take this one. I mean, I'm just picking one here. Um, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness, and incidentally, that, that's a relation word. It means living face-to-face, um, -face, living transparently, living in harmony, living in step. So it's in step with God through Jesus and in step with each other in love. Okay, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Did you hear this? This is the word of the Lord. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He said, this is gospel 101. You've heard it from the beginning. Verse 14, we know that we passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Uh, see what I mean? We, we could just read on and on. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has given us commandment. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I could keep going. First John is full of it. Look. Of you and me, the scripture says, Romans 5 and 5, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. In John 14, 15, 16, in Colossians 2, what is it about verse 15? It plainly says that the Holy Trinity, through the Holy Spirit, lives in you. This love that I'm talking about is in you. In, in Thessalonians, I better stop here. In Thessalonians, he's praying. And as he prays, he said, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. That's part of his prayer to the Thessalonians. May the Lord make you increase and abound. That is... Um, just just grow and grow and grow, invade every part of your mortal human being, and then abound, which means to spill over the side, gush over, as if you filled the cup and the water spills with the saucer and then onto the floor. Increase and abound in love toward one another. That's everybody that you fellowship with in Christ and to all, that is, the people who work in the grocery store and the neighbors and people you work with, and they're, they're not part of one another, they're part of and all. I, I'm not going to make this into a challenge. I think that what I've said in the last hour can speak for itself. All I will say is that the Western church is pretty mired down in elder brother thinking. 
And may the Holy Spirit open our eyes that we really see the grace of God. For the grace of God is not that he deals with you as you do not deserve, but he also deals with your neighbor and your fellow workers and those who hate you and those who are not like you at all. The grace of God reaches where we would not reach, where we, in fact, would never reach, where we don't want God to reach. We'd prefer to leave them where they are. Remember, it was when the elder brother saw that was the grace of God. That's when he flew into a rage. May we not fly into a rage, but rather fall to our knees and say, Dear God, Open my eyes to see your love and give me the grace to let all the love you've poured into me go flying out in every word I say, in every action I do. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless you with the ultimate opening of your eyes to see. He not only loves me, but he loves the whole world. Not only does he love me, but he loves my enemies and he loves those I don't like. Give me grace to walk, live, breathe that love and be the gospel on the earth. That's the way it is.